We are back for another Codex Cantina episode, which is just two guys talking literature, trying to make sense of it. Now, we spend a lot of time pushing ourselves, trying to understand this literature, organizing it, and then bringing it to a conversational approach for how we deliver it. And we've absolutely put more money in it than we've gotten out of it. So if you guys are considering supporting this channel, we'd appreciate you checking out our Patreon link at patreon.com slash the Codex Cantina, as well as Ko-Fi of ko-fi.com slash the Codex Cantina. It all helps us in running the show, along with commercials, guys. So thank you so much. We're going to do a quick commercial break, and then we'll get on with the rest of the episode. Nanakwame Ajay Brenya does it again. We're here to talk about the era today. Whew, is this one a hard hit in story or what, my friend? It, did this just pull you in so many directions i at the end of it i'm like what did i read oh i read that i read what oh like there was just this processing of this story that was incredible and i kind of wanted to read it again but i wanted to discuss it with you and then i want to go back and reread it this is our second nanakwame story and both of these have been just surreal but at the same time so grounded in how you and I might value or think about things. But at the same time, there's kind of like that that gut punch that makes you reevaluate where you really put the value in in truth. And I think it makes you question your own truth and what does the truth mean to you as you look at where our society and countries are going? Does this reveal a truth that is something that we want to happen or is it something we need to start questioning about ourselves as a society and the era definitely brings that you know hard hitting punch of wow if you look at our world from an outsized perspective you know if you were an ailing floating above this is kind of the strangeness that you would see as this story unfolds i was watching this creative writing lecture that he gave online you can watch it i'll maybe i'll put a link to it down below but he talks about you know, in the first movement of of a story, that typically that's where you hear the advice, you know, the character shows you who they really are. But he also talks about this idea of reader generosity, the idea that once we're diving into the story, right? So here, like in the beginning, you're almost kind of confused. Like, what's how it was class? What's a, what's a youth teen? What's a full middler? Like, there's all these words that you're like, oh, these are nonsense words. And that's that's when he's already got you. Because you're trying to like figure out this puzzle and you want to know more about the world. You, you, you believe that the time it takes to figure out what the heck is going on will be worth it in the end. And I think that's what's, what's so special about Nanakwame's writings is that he always delivers, in my opinion, on delivering in the end. The, the value of the story is always there, regardless of how when it starts with this how it was class, by the end, you're just like, wow. We do have that going on, don't we? Yeah, I think that a lot of people that may read this story that maybe come from a literary background, or if you are one of our readers that is uh, more sci-fi based or fantasy based or any of any of the different genres, I think there's something a little bit for everybody in this story. I know that as a fantasy reader, sometimes you come across those words that authors make up for their fantasy world because it's different, and you gloss over them. It's like the Jojo and you don't know how to pronounce the word, the magical system, or there's some strange name, and you're like, oh, yeah, she loved chubbing it up. And it kind of feels like that as you're going through this mystical world. But this is set in such a reality that you do want to know more. And you're like, 
what does the the big end mean or what it, what is the the i think it's like the big push or something or and you're like what what is that because has that already happened is that something that's going to happen or what is it that's going to happen and I, I love the mystery or the air of it because it does draw you into the story. And it, 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 it's, a, it, it's a page turner. It's the thing that is the hook. It's gotcha. And it's pulling you along at, at such a fast pace. When it ends, you're kind of smacked in the face, but you still want more. <laughs> this story reminds me a lot of that spring break story we did by John Crowley. And I think we had a really good exploration where I think it is a little bit unfair when people say, oh, these are nonsense words and we write it off. Right when when authors have this conjecture about how well we might change what words mean or how we articulate ourselves, and at first it might come off as like, well, by today's standards, you're like, okay, those are too colloquial, or they just make the 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 people seem not as intelligent. Maybe that was the point, but at the same point, I think it's also worth pointing out how language evolves, and it evolves because it serves our purpose better than perhaps the current structure that we have today, right? If we change how we communicate to be more efficient, to get our point across faster, is that potentially better communication? And I can't help but wonder, you know, there's this theme about, like you said, like the long big war or quick big war, whatever they were, the turn happened. We, we don't, at least I don't think, unless I missed it, we don't know what the turn is or was, but we know before the turn, we weren't honest, right? We were beating around the bush before we got to the point and things are so much better when we strip away the structure maybe like language and now we're quicker to the point and we just tell it how it is and that's clearly better than telling someone's and protecting someone's feelings is kind of what we're discussing i think you bring up a really good couple of points is the the shortening of language is something that i think has persisted through time and for me i the way i took the turn was the turning point in history of when we became a better society. And I think that we've always taken language to sit our, to, to, to suit our needs. Um, and as, as the kids like say today, you know, we, instead of saying suspicious, you say sus, and you're still conveying the same meaning. You just shorten the word. And I, I always think it's, I don't know, not, it's not interesting. Uh, maybe it is interesting that a lot of times older generations will look at the change of language of younger generations in a negative manner or almost like they are being lazy as they're changing things. And I was going to ask you of why do you think that as time has passed and language has evolved like it has in this story, and we see that in this story kind of to a degree, not necessarily with the language, but there is this uh, uh, air of almost superiority of the elders to the, the younger characters in the story that, oh, language was better back in my day and the language you have now is lesser than. It seems to be a common theme throughout history. You know, this is, there's no scientific backing behind this, but I've always kind of thought that we find humans are drawn to comfort, right? There's, there's this um, German, I think he's a teacher slash kind of consider him sociologist, philosopher, but Max Weber, he, he wrote this really good, essay called uh, charisma and he was he was a biting criticism towards the educational system about how how likable you are the the facade that you put on makes it easier to to want to be drawn to that teacher to like that teacher it almost capitalizes attention in a sense 
in that that feeling like so if we look at it from the 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 viewer side the idea of wanting to be just drawn towards what's easy i can't help but think that sometimes we get comfortable in our old ways and we think because it's comfortable because it's easy it's better right and it's it's almost like an alienation or scary thing to see things change so particularly older generations where it's not their change they feel alienated and are more likely to reject it is kind of how I always have viewed it. Oh, that makes sense. I, I like that explanation. I just, for myself, always want to challenge myself to evolve. And I, I like learning new words and I like using words that are more efficient or words that can be more relatable. That just seems very uh, easy to me. Uh, maybe it's not comfortable, but... Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm that weirder. You know me. I, I'm the guy that likes to be in that uncomfortable position. I love the conflict. <laughs> yeah. Well, and when you're reading the story, don't you feel a little bit uncomfortable with the things that are said when he's just like, man, I really wish I could smash your face in with a rock. <laughs> or they're, they're oh, talking yeah. about like, if we just oh, yeah. admitted that we poisoned the, the reservoir, it'd be so much better. And we would just more honorably nuke each other later on in life. And it's just like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. How, something, something doesn't fit right when you are just so straightforward. And I'm trying to wonder how much does intent matter in the truth too? Because sometimes we hide things like, you know, the whole do my, these jeans make my butt look big thing, right? We're, we're not, we're, we're doing lies, right? And, and we do do lies a lot. However, it's with the idea of, well, I don't think it's really you're asking if your butt looks big. It's making you feel comfortable. It's making you feel loved, even if it's particularly asking from like, like, you know, a significant other. And when you take that away and just focus on the truth, does that take away the emotions? And is that what can be so cringe or so, so surprising to us as readers when they're so direct in this story that it can surprise you because you're not used to taking away that veil of comfort? It also feels that this is unrealistic from our current standpoint of society that We've talked about, and I've said many times before, and I, I, I've stolen this from Sam Harris, that there are really two ways to communicate through our language, whether that's verbal or written or song or poetry, and through physical means. And that a lot of times, if you spoke to somebody this way in modern society, it would end with some type of physical altercation. And while there's a little bit of physical altercation in this, most people just accept in this world of the era that you can speak to one another this way and it is okay. And that feels almost unrealistic to us because you would there's a sense of civility that comes with lying or just not placating, but just how people interact with one another in society. The, hello, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Like, that's all lies. It's all fake. Uh, but it does give kind of a, a structure to society. And that's all ripped away in this story. And we just have the bare bones truth of how people feel at all times. And that's hard to swallow. Let's move on to another point in the story because I feel like there's a lot going on. So if the beginning is John Crowley, if it's uh, the the way we protect each other's emotions. I don't want to say the end, but as you move to the middle, we've got more about the opta selection. We learned about a sister Marlene who has been genetically advanced, right? So it's like, okay, we have these personality traits, and it's almost like like those old school RPGs where you got to choose your opening class, right? Like I'm going to be the archer because they have higher agility and great eyesight and can do long distance attacks, right? It's like they're choosing their children 
to have the perfect ideal form of some trait, right? If, if we jack all of our effort and points or, or money or whatever it takes to be perfectly stacked in this trait, they're the perfect form of this trait. And it kind of made me think about, not that I think Nanaquame was going for this, but it made me think about um, Plato's forms, the idea that there's a perfect form of love out there and we're trying to find it, or if there's a perfect form of friendship and we're trying to find that. Like, this is almost like we think as humans we can perfectly craft these statistics and these stats to make humans perfect, right? And it's almost like if you're reaching truth, you've got the true form of honesty and relationships. And if we're taking these humans and optimizing them in a certain way, we can find like the true perfect form of a human is kind of like where my mind went, at least when I read this. They've gone almost so far scientifically that they've broken down the core mechanics of how we work as a species and ripped away, I think, one, our humanity, and two, our emotions. And I think that those are things that kind of feed into our attraction to one another. And they've said, look, you don't need that stuff. If you can optimize a human and pair them with someone else with the exact same optimization, then they will be a perfect couple. They will be perfect in society. They'll be perfect workers. They'll be perfect parents. They'll have perfect children. And I think that that, that, like that's the kind of one of the main lessons of the story here is, is this something that we want as a society? Is this something that we're moving towards as we slowly start to more embrace our AI uh, chat GPTs and as we embrace, you know, our, our uh, technology that's embedded so heavily into our lives? And then we start putting microchips in our brains and altering our own DNA. Will we want to alter the DNA of our children in the future? That's a tough question to swallow. That if I, I think eventually, realistically, maybe you know, in a couple of generations, people might have to start doing. Will that even really give you equality? I guess like you you enter a little bit more of the Harrison Bergeron discussion here from Kurt Vonnegut, where it's like we handicap people until they're till they're equal, right? And here you're stat jacking. Right, you're trying to get ahead. You're trying to get move ahead of everyone. And does that create or change society? Do we have a a better society where we're craft where we're crafting the true form of people that we think need to exist? And I think we have this juxtaposition with the shoe lookers, right? We never really understand what they're going for. <laughs> we understand that when you know Ben gets yeah. sad, our narrator, he starts looking down and he starts looking like a shoe looker. And a shoe looker even like touches him on the shoulder, like, where are we going, man? Like, what's the point of life? Like, <laughs> like even though we can perfectly craft humans, we still have this, this class that we look down on. These people that we view as inferior and don't even recognize as humans. And then as soon as Ben starts to feel sad and isn't jacked up on good, well, then he's treated like one too and even recognized amongst the, the class of shoe lookers, I'll say. That's another main point of the story is trying to identify of... Who, who are you? Who do you want to be? Uh, does it matter if you are, uh, you know, a boot look, a bootlicker or if you are, you know, genetically engineered? Can you still be a good person? Can you still have relationships? Still, can you still be happy? I, I don't know. It, is, is, does that matter? Does happiness matter in this world? I think it does for, I think it does for certain people, right? The people that aren't so tied up in, in, okay. So if the opening is the reader generosity, we see this world about the turn. We see this world about stat jacking, stuff like that. And then we see the different ways that you can achieve it. Leslie, when we get to the climax and the resolution here at the end, 
we see that her family unplugged, right? They're, they're the ones living in the small house. They're poor. They don't have a lot of money. Their beds also serve as tables, but they get people, right? They're not so jacked up on the artificial generated good, right? Like, like in terms of whether you view that as materialism or ways to buy happiness or the stat jacking that comes with like the opta selection. These are the people that just spend in the era hours just getting to know people. They're not watching TV, playing games and stuff like that. They're, they're having that real human connection that, 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 that I think when we're, we're replacing all these stats that we don't like, we're, we're almost replacing part of our humanity. And we look down on people that embrace their own humanity, right? Like those kids that were crying at the war memorial. And we look down on them for expressing their emotions. We look down on shoe lickers for being sad. It's like we suppress our humanity for the sole purpose of standing out in front of others. And I think Leslie is is the family that's you know offering their hand for him to turn away from that world and embrace his own humanity. Oh, man. What's crazy to think about is that the human connection here is lessened by telling the truth more often. Think of that. If you lie a little bit with just white mm -hmm. lies, you're able to make better human connections and have a more emotional connection with somebody than wholeheartedly telling the truth because you might not necessarily hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you in the sense that it's not necessarily that they're... To, to nuance it, it's not that they're not necessarily lying more. It's that they're first considering others, right? By putting the fact that your human existence is in a bubble with others that also live and breathe and have feelings, uh, that's, that's something that we all need to keep in mind, I think, in, in a sense, is when I make this decision, you have a choice. And whether you consider others I think is what makes you choose to be a part of humanity as opposed to being too individualistic, perhaps. Yeah, I think it kind of brings us to the end of the story of it's kind of heartbreaking after all of this human connection that's made and the family that, that's trying to be open armed. Uh, it all still just comes back to I want what I want and and there is no acceptance and, and there I don't know. Do you think at the end when they're sitting there together and uh, Leslie tells the joke. Do you, do you think that, do you see that the next scene is a happy scene or they're dating? Do you, wh wh what do you think? <laughs> I think this is the turn for the character in the same way that society found a way to get to what it thought was the best form that it could be, whether it is or isn't. I think this is the turn for Ben where he realizes he can choose to be his natural self, to think about others and not necessarily be so focused on what the truth or being the highest or best at something. This is him accepting who he is, which I think is uh, the, the strongest message for a better future for Ben, perhaps. And that's the message to us is that you can be better. You can always change, no matter what the pressure of someone at, school or your family you can be better and you can be you and be happy in it Aww, <laughs> <laughs> you don't gotta be no shoe looker all right my name is ben una thank you for spending some time and talking about nana kwame ajay brenya he's an amazing author and we're gonna leave a playlist where you can find some other talks what story do you want to see us cover next I've, I've got a couple i've heard the first one in this collection is just a firecracker we, we should probably check this one out next all right let's do it
Peace. Peace.